So this, uh, I like the title about this. I hope you like the title. You may not like much else, but the title's great, you know. And the title of this little talk is part of the Praying Like Jesus uh, series, and uh, Denise did a great job last week. Give her a little round of applause. Prayer builds relationship, lovely takeaway there, so good. The title of this uh, uh, talk is The Most Important Prayer You'll Ever Pray. Isn't that a good title? Isn't that great? Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and uh, you know, just, just tell them, just talk for a minute about what might be the most important prayer that you'll ever pray. I'm sure some of you are close to what the important, most important prayer you'll ever pray is. What was my most, the most important prayer I ever prayed? Well, apart from the one I'm gonna be talking on, it's probably very early on when I was a teenager and I met Fliss. And I, I prayed, oh God, oh God, oh God. May Fliss fall head over heels in love with me. <laughs> and she did, yes! <laughs> you did, didn't you? Look into my eyes, do not look to the left. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Most important prayer you'll ever pray. Well, actually, sort of turning this a bit on its head, I've been thinking a lot about prayer. We're doing this prayer series, and I felt to myself, you know, there are so many important prayers, but over the years, truly, there has been one that has really gripped me, and I pray it daily, I breathe it. Some of you are knowing, uh, know what's going to come out of this, but... But I, I, I really do believe that, that prayer, as, as Denise said, it's not just magic. It's not like reciting some sort of incantation, you know, like abracadabra or something like that. Actually, prayer gets better with understanding. You know, the Lord God, in his great mercy, understands the, the simplest of prayers that a child might utter. I remember the first prayer my mother ever taught me, and she wasn't a Christian, was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Anybody remember that? You know, I prayed that for years and years and years. She, she felt that was the right thing to do, and that was the sum total of my religious education. But you know what? Jesus heard that prayer, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But as we mature and as we come of age, and of course last year we were really sort of thinking a lot about that, uh, you know, we do bring all of us to it, not just our heart, but we bring our mind too. And so prayer is, is, is refined and, 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 and the whole business of understanding is applied to prayer. So, so before I tell you what the most important prayer you'll ever pray is, I wanna just sort of set the scene a little bit, just so that you, you hopefully, Get the weight of this prayer because it's only three words. The most important prayer you'll ever pray. It's just three words. It could be easily you know, dismissed, but actually there is such weight to this. There is such weight to it that I really want us to understand so that we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and pray it with conviction. So the first thing, let me ask you another question. How serious is sin? Very serious. And I like the way you said it. it was very serious. <laughs> you said it in a very serious voice. Yeah, it's very serious. And I want to think about that for a moment or two. Because I was talking to the Alpha group on, on Monday, and that was great. It's always great talking to that group. And I said to them, I said, if, you know, in Alpha and indeed in church, we don't assume that you're Christians. You know, me asking you that prayer 
uh, asking what is your favorite prayer or what is the most important prayer you've ever prayed. You may never have prayed in your life, you know. But the fact of the matter is I said to that group on Monday, I said, you know, if you were to pray, God, you know, God, oh God, oh God, oh God, I see the light or whatever. Oh, sorry. Uh, thanks, Mark. Actually, if you, can you just give me that? That'd be great. Terrific, thank you. Um, I see the light, and from this day on, so help me God, I'm going to do better. I mean, I've certainly prayed that prayer. Anybody else prayed that prayer? You know, from this day on, and maybe by the grace of God, you do do better. By the grace of God and with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, you do improve your life and your life, and you enter into, into a period of transformation. But the trouble is, it's what happened yesterday. What can you do about yesterday? The scripture talks about the need to atone. What does atonement mean? It means making amends for past sins. You know, we can all turn over a new leaf by the grace of God. Not that it's easy, but we can resolve to do that, but we have to. What can we do about past sin? Went through ignorance or arrogance or whatever, we didn't do right. What do we do about that? Sin is very serious, it's pervasive, it undermines our society even today. We can see the ravages of sin in society. So sin is very serious, and so let's just look at the scriptures. Bless you, thank you very much indeed, that's kind of you. So let's just look at the scriptures. Let's begin at the beginning in Genesis chapter two, and uh, this is really the fall. What we call in, in Christian circles the fall, it's you know, prior to this moment, Things were great, you know, God created us, God created the birds, the animals, the trees, the garden, and we lived in relationship and fellowship with God. But then something happened, and we're just gonna look at this, the first step of the fall, and uh, it's uh, gonna come up on the screen, uh, Genesis uh, chapter two, verses 15 to 17, and then I'm gonna uh, rush on into three chapters, uh, uh, verses one to four. So, so it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when you eat from it, you will certainly die. On to chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent said, you will not certainly die. And after that, as they all say, it was all history. Because as we know, the woman took the apple and apple... Adam took that, and then all hell broke loose. They didn't die like that, so the serpent was telling a half-true, but they died, and they were to die. Now, that story is is common uh, to to Christians the world over. It's it's an account of how God, the creator God, uh, dealt with and had to deal with us as we broke trust and if Denise, what she was saying last week, you know, when she said that prayer is all about relationship and about building relationship, you know, when, you, when trust is broken down, 
when you don't believe what somebody has said, when the woman decided that she did not be- she believed the serpent and she did not believe God, trust was broken. And in any relationship, you know, long, long-term marriage that Felicity and myself enjoy, you know, the, the worst times are when you, you become suspicious and trust is broken down. It, it, great chasms open up between you because what can you trust and what can't you trust? And so there was, there was a great rift in the garden, but that's not where I want to land. I want to look on a little bit. So the second part of this little reading is actually in further on in chapter 3, verse 21, and, and after God had spoken to Adam and Eve, and he had said, you know, you do not realize what you've done. There's going to be enmity now between all of creation. Where there was unity, now there will be enmity. There will be difficulty, there will be, yeah, there will be argument, there will be his, yeah, just, just breakdown and breakdown and breakdown in, in relationship. And then verse 21, it's a small point and easily missed, but I just want to begin by laying this sort of foundation for this most important prayer you'll ever pray. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You know, it does say earlier on that they, they, they suddenly realized they were naked and they felt shame. You know, I was saying to the Alpha group that uh, through, I, I, I've, lived the early part of my life with a lot of shame. Uh, and some of it's not because of stuff I've done, it's some, some, just because of the way I've interpreted things that have been done to me. And shame is a terrible thing. And shame can dog the most successful of, of, of businessmen, the most uh, attractive of people, the most together people, but inside they can feel ashamed Where they somehow feel disconnected, they feel out of sorts, they feel wrong, they feel less than. And Adam and Eve in that garden, the first thing that struck them once they had broken trust with God was the sense of shame. Before that, they were free of it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've lived with shame. And so they felt that what they needed to do was to cover themselves. You know, we hide. We hide from one another. We put on a persona, your Facebook persona. We hide. We, anything to cover up that deep sense of of. Uh, disconnection and shame. And what, what they did, first of all, was bless their hearts, they took fig leaves. And they didn't work for very long. Every time there was a gust of wind, it was, ooh! <laughs> so God, in his great mercy, he made garments of skin. Garments of what? Skin. There was a scream in the Garden of Eden and a creature died to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. The first death, blood was spilt in order to clothe Adam and Eve, and so it began, and so it began. And as you read through the Old Testament, the, pl- the thing is awash with blood. No wonder some people talk about the God of the Old Testament being you know, a despot and all this kind of thing. I can understand it. it's wrong, shows a lack of understanding, but blood flows. And it's always in response to sin. It's always in, in response to trying to deal with sin. Let's just think through. I mean, we have, for example, um, you know, the Passover. And in fact, funnily enough, we just celebrated communion together. We talked about the broken body of, of Jesus. We spoke about the blood of Christ being shed for us. The Passover, of course, was instigated 
on that night that Moses led the children of Israel, the Hebrews as they were then known, out of slavery. And the last of the great plagues that uh, the Lord God, Yahweh, inflicted upon the Egyptians, which forced them finally to let them go, was to take, was to kill all the firstborn animals and, and, and first sons. And what God said to uh, Moses was, make sure that all the Hebrews take a lamb, an innocent, perfect lamb, slaughter it, and daub the doorway so that when the angel of death goes through that land, he will know that in that house are my people. Their freedom, their escape, was bought at an enormous price. The blood flowed. The blood flowed. Moving on, the children of Israel spent their time in in 40 years in the desert, and during that time, the Day of Atonement was instigated. And what happened with the Day of Atonement was that uh, it's the most important festival in the Jewish calendar still, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And on that occasion, what happens is they take two goats or, or sheep, and the high priest lays hands on one, and symbolically, the symbol of uh, the, the sin of all the people is placed upon that one sheep, and then that lamb is that that sheep is slaughtered. Blood flows for the sin of the people. The other sheep, hands are placed on it, and then it is driven out into the wilderness, carrying with it symbolically the the sin of the people. The scapegoat. We still have that word in our language. Blood flows. Blood flows. You know, the whole sacrificial system which you read about in the book of Leviticus, I mean, you know, blood flows in response to sin. Every time you have a, a sense of sin, in order to cleanse yourself, blood has to flow. Blood has to flow. And in fact, when they opened up the temple, the great meeting place of God, I mean, there was such an enormous slaughter of creatures. The screams of the animals, the, they must have been ankle deep in flowing blood. What is this saying to us? What can we deduce from this? Quite simply, sin is serious. It's not just a case of God, sort of the big Father Christmas type type character saying, well, try better next time, kids. You know, sin is a cancer of the soul. It's not easily dealt with. Those of you who are cancer survivors or, or dealing with cancer, you know it's a tricky thing. God bless you. And God bless you now. I believe God's healing somebody with cancer right now. Right now, in Jesus' name, be healed. Sin has to be taken seriously. We as a culture don't like that kind of language. It's hellfire and damnation. It's old school. We just kind of brush it off. You know, what do our teenagers and kids do? They have a, you know, they will go out and they'll, you know, bless their hearts, they'll get a, a hairdo and they'll, you know, they'll change their 
you know, their clothes, they'll, they'll leave that group of friends and they will try and create a new identity. It's that desire to start again and yet they're dogged by the past, as are you and I. So, then we move on into the New Testament. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we read, John, his, uh, the, the uh, Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who was drawing great crowds to be baptized in the Jordan. A new beginning, a new beginning. Jesus comes towards him, and what happens? We find that uh, John is frankly amazed that Jesus should come to him. But in John chapter one, verse 29, we read, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, not the poor little scapegoat, not that creature in the garden, whatever it was, not the Passover lamb, but the Lamb of God. And what does this lamb do, this lamb, takes away the sins of the world. The sins of the world. And so Jesus is hung upon the cross, seemingly at the end of a brief but a sparkling ministry. And on that cross, as Jesus is, as we hear and read in the scriptures, as he is carrying upon himself the sins of the world. Why? Because he is God. It's as, if, it's as if the judge and jury took upon themselves the punishment of us all. God himself steps in and Jesus from that cross cries out, it is finished. It is finished. The Lamb of God a perfect sacrifice dies for the sins of the world. It is finished. Finally, there is no need for that river of blood. Hundreds of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of creatures dying just to deal with yesterday's sin. You know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, those who are on a spiritual journey, those who are looking seriously at the whole business of faith, the person of Jesus, like those going through the Alpha Course, as they consider these things rather than just shrug it in an offhand manner, shrug it off, those people, at some point, we all of us, as we come of age, will have to ask ourselves a question, who is going to atone for my sins? Atonement being paying the price for yesterday's sin. Who is going to pay the price for my sin? You can have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, atone for your sins. Or you can say, no, that's a bit too religious for me. Thank you very much. Oh, boy. In which case, you're making a very conscious decision to atone for your own sins. Somebody's got to pay, otherwise God is not just. But God is merciful, so he gives his only son. 
so that we can enjoy forgiveness and freedom. Who's going to atone for your sins? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be yourself? Are you going to work harder? Are you going to get better? You're not going to, you know, fall into those little besetting sins that you and only you and no know. Are you going to be a nice person, a good neighbor, a good colleague? Are you going to be kind to your kids and not lose your rag and feel regretful and remorse after? Are you going to do that? Well, good luck to you. I don't mean that facetiously. God bless you. But the truth of the matter is that no matter how good you are tomorrow, what about yesterday? Who's going to atone for that? Is that going to be left on your record? Or are you going to let Jesus wipe that away? So having said that, finally we get to answer the question I asked at the beginning. What is the most important prayer you'll ever pray? Well, let me say this is my opinion. So I don't want 760 emails tomorrow. Okay? My opinion. I would say it's a considered opinion. I've been a follower of Jesus for over 40 years now, and it is a considered opinion. But I would say the most important prayer you'll ever pray, and you'll pray many important ones, many life-changing ones, but the most important prayer you'll ever pray is quite simply, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. That's easy, isn't it? Lord, have mercy. Anyone can pray that. Lord, have mercy. Just say that with me. It trips off the tongue. Lord, have mercy. It's a weighty prayer. It's a weighty prayer. We could spend a month preaching on each element of that, but I'm just going to give you three. First of all, Lord. You see, one of the big questions we'll have to answer is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A great teacher? A nice bloke? A healer? Somebody who fed the poor? A teacher? Etc., etc. The leader of a worldwide movement, which personally I don't, you know, I don't reckon with. Who is Jesus? He is a historical figure. We have to decide who he is. It's one of the big questions. So when you come to that point, where you address him as Lord, you are acknowledging that as Jesus says just before he ascends into heaven, that all authority in power and power in heaven and earth have been given to him. That the Father has passed to him all authority and power. Jesus said to his disciples, you call me Lord and teacher, and it's right that you do so, because that is what I am. And then he went and washed their feet. So he quite clearly wasn't any ordinary Lord or teacher. But the scripture says he is Lord of lords, King of kings, and he's coming again in glory. Not as a carpenter's son born in a stable in Bethlehem, but he is coming again and coming in glory. So to begin your most important prayer with 
Lord is an acknowledgement of who Jesus is, not your opinion, but who Jesus is. Secondly, you pray, have mercy. Now you have to believe that he has the power to forgive. Jesus most notably healed a man who was a paralytic. But before he healed that man, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And he caused an absolute outrage amongst the hearers. There were many religious people around and they were seriously ticked off and they said to themselves, who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus, wonderfully, I'd love to have been there and seen this. He said, what is easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Or, get up and walk. Well, it's a no-brainer. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, isn't it? But then he said, But so that you might know that the Son of Man, that was his title for himself, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralytic and said, Son, get up and walk. Take up that bed. Go on, get out. And the man stood up, rolled up his bed, and left. I bet the silence was deeper than it is in this room at this moment. That was an extraordinary moment. So when you pray, have mercy, you're acknowledging that Jesus is the one who can forgive your sins, who can atone for you. Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, have mercy. He has the power to do that, to forgive your sins. All that sweating, all that trying, all that, all that living a good life, all that trying to be a nice neighbor, all that trying to love the kids when they're driving you up the wall. Of course, none of your kids drive you up the wall, but. Lord, have mercy. The second important element in this extraordinary prayer. But then thirdly, mercy. Lord, I need you to have mercy upon me. In that word, in that request, in that prayer is an acknowledgement that you are a sinner in need of the forgiveness of a great and awesome God. Lord, have mercy. It's a little prayer. You can say it under your breath. You can say it as you do the shopping, Lord of mercy. You can say it with intent. You can say it just in reaction. I breathe it. I'm not talking about figuratively. I breathe it. I, when I'm having my quiet time or when I'm going for a little walk, I will breathe in, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord, have mercy. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord, have mercy. I do it habitually. And I hope and pray that my dying breath, my dying prayer will be, Lord, have mercy. I believe and humbly suggest 
that those three words constitute the most important prayer you'll ever pray. Let's have the band up. Let's stand, shall we? You know, I've got a thing on my mind to do, which I, 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 uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. I, I don't want it to be theatrical or anything like that, or be over the top, but I just feel prompted as we sing this last prayer together, I'm going to just come down here and I'm going to kneel down there and I'm just going to be breathing, Lord have mercy. And for some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for quite a while and you started by just giving him your heart and your ways and stuff like that. But for some of you today has been a bit of an eye-opener. You've taken it to a new level and you have it on your mind and your heart to pray, Lord, have mercy with that theological weight and meaning. So if you want to come and kneel with me down the front there, then, then and I don't care if I'm the only person because I'm the one that needs mercy. I, I, you look really nice, you know, but... Uh, I need mercy. But if anyone cares to join me, and if you're in a row, you probably have to say to your neighbor, excuse me, I need to squeeze out there. And if whoever's on the front, that's great. But I just want to, as a leader, say, I, I need Christ's mercy. You know, for all the reasons I've just, just explained. So let me just pray and then we'll get on with it. Father God, I just want to say thank you to you for your presence here. I thank you that we are growing up. Lord, everything that you've shown us has proved to be true and we've cried out to you and you've met our every need and there's still unfinished business but we're faithful, we're growing in trust, we're not going away from you and declining in trust but we're growing in trust and at this point in time as we have spent much time over the years considering prayer, Lord we want you to tattoo upon our heart that prayer, Lord have mercy. So when some later day we might recall it as and when we need it. So come Holy Spirit, thank you Lord, amen.